and then that's about the time that the third IED went off right in front of our vehicle. But we knew at that point that somebody was there watching us. And then that's when like the bottom kind of dropped out. So small arms fire, RPG fire, um, coming from the Sauter City side of where um, our convoy was positioned. Hi, and welcome to the second episode in our newest podcast series, The Spear. The Spear features one-on-one -on -one interviews with individuals about their combat experience. More specifically, a single combat experience. A firefight, a battle, an ambush. This show examines what it's actually like to be in combat. Today we're talking to Major Emily Spencer. In 2008, as a lieutenant, she led an EOD platoon in Iraq. She's going to tell us about a specific route clearance patrol during that deployment. Listen and find out what happened when her convoy reached the edge of Sadr City, a sanctuary for fighters from the Jaysh al-Mahdi militia. Before we get to the conversation, a couple notes. We'll release the next episode of The Spear in two weeks. Between now and then, the series will have its own feed, so you'll be able to subscribe to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Find the Modern War Institute page on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at War Institute and we'll let you know as soon as the series is available. Also, as always, views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and don't reflect any official position of the U.S. government. All right, enjoy the podcast. I'm here talking to uh, Major Emily Spencer. Um, we're going to talk about... Uh, I guess what started as a as a route clearance operation in April 2009, uh, in, or sorry, April 2008 yeah. in uh, in in Baghdad. Um, first of all, thanks thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, can you give kind of some some context? Talk about what was happening in in um, this part of of Baghdad in, in Iraq generally in in this time in 2008. Okay, um, so. Where we were, our uh, company was um, supporting 168 um, cab north of um, Baghdad. And from the time that they had arrived in theater, roughly like February 2008, um, till you know, um, roughly April 2008, uh, they'd seen a lot of um, EFP act activity, so explosively foreign penetrator. Um, we had been getting or identifying, getting hit with or identifying um, a lot of IEDs um, leading up into, into this night. You were, sorry, you were an EOD platoon leader at the time? Platoon leader. Okay. Yeah, so EOD platoon leader. And your AO, your area of operations that you were sort of focused on was kind of just north of Baghdad and down to Sadr City? Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, so it was the battalion, right? So we were in, our, my platoon was in direct support to the, uh, to the battalion. And so two of my teams were at Cop Callahan mm -hmm. um, and two were at another uh, location. So a team, an EOD team is um, three people. So, um, so there were six plus me at Callahan at the time and my platoon sergeant. Um, so um, eight total. And then at our other location, another uh, three soldier team. Okay. Um, and so just for some context, yeah. Uh, Sauter City is n technically part of your area of responsibility, but there's not a lot of U.S. activity coalition forces going in there and doing anything at the time, correct? Right. So we had gotten there. I, I guess what kind of started this whole thing off um, 
was in November of 2007, um, we got hit with an IRAM, so uh, improvised rocket-assisted mortar. So there was a simultaneous attack between a couple of different... Um, Which is essentially like a, a propane tank or a fire extinguisher or something, some canister, right, that they put a rocket motor on the back. And right, and then lost. lobbed over into our fob, yep. right? So right, we estimated like 80 you know, pounds of uh, explosives. So, I mean, created pretty deep craters into our area. Mm -hmm. um, coordinated attack, a couple of other different areas got hit on the same day at the same time. But essentially what we were finding is that, you know, after these um, attacks, they would flee back into Sodder City. And yet we didn't have a way to go and get them, to pursue them into Sodder City because no U.S. forces like held ground in Sodder City at the time. As part of this sort of informal agreement with Muqtad al-Sadr at the time, I think that basically said, hey, we will limit some of our attacks on you if you guys kind of stay out of Sauter City. Um, so this had essentially become a no-go zone or and, and a safe haven for them. So they could exactly come out, put in these EFPs, right. conduct these IRAM attacks, things like that, and exactly. then just and then just head go back, back in. into the bushes and do the same thing the very next day. So then, sort of fast forward to April 2008, and uh, there's going to be a change in that situation, right? Right. So I think, and you know. I'm not exactly sure of the, the larger picture, you know, working uh, down at the ground level, um, but ultimately it turned out to, that they wanted to build a wall, kind of wall off solder um, to kind of prevent people from, you know, um, merging into the areas that we had control over. Mm -hmm. um, so April 2008, you know, we had, they started building route clearance packages to go in and start clearing the roads leading to solder so that we could clear the roads officially in order to bring in these T-walls and wall off the city. And your EOD teams were part of these road clearance packages. Right, so um, leading up to that, we hadn't really played a big role in route clearance, um, but for this particular night, um, both of my teams got embedded into two separate route clearance packages. Um, one was, I, I don't quite remember which units they were from, but one was internal to the organization, one was from another location. Okay. Um, so there was one team that I was with, and then my uh, team two was on the road that ran parallel right next to ours. Okay, so, and, and as I understand it, you're the platoon leader, but because you've got soldiers that are on R&R, on, &R, on leave, um, you're in one of the vehicles in the turret manning the gun. Right, so that's, you know, in an EOD vehicle, there's not a lot of space. We got a lot of equipment, uh, a lot of robots, um, and a lot of C4, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, so the I was that was the best place for me to be. Um, the team leader rides in the front. Um, you know, the driver, and then I was in the turret. So, can you talk a little bit about so what's the what's the sort of concept of operations? You're, it's Route Gold, right? Which is one of the roads that really forms the border between Solder City and and the rest of Baghdad. Right, so actually Route Gold hadn't been, no U.S. forces, that was the edge of Sadr City. So mm -hmm. no U.S. forces had been on Route Gold prior to uh, this night. So our uh, mission and the route clearance package to the road parallel to ours, we were, um, each of us head, head down the road, hit Route Gold, and essentially, once we reach Route Gold, do a U-turn and come back. So clearing the roads of all IEDs, EFPs, whatever that we find um, on those roads leading up to gold, but stopping at gold and then turn around and coming back. Okay. So as you head on these roads heading toward Route Gold, um, do you have any contact there? Do you come across any IEDs? 
No, it was actually, so it was relatively quiet. We did a couple of interrogations, but the interesting thing that I'll never forget, so as we're going into uh, the city, so we're getting like to the edge of this road where we're supposed to start our route clearance, and we see like an NP national police truck full of um, MP, you know, guards, officers, whatever, like coming in the opposite direction. I mean, just flying. And I never, our team leader uh, said, oh, wow, this, this can't be good. And that set, kind of set the tone for the whole night. Um, it started really quiet. Like we didn't, you know, we interrogated a few things, didn't really see too much. When you say um, interrogated, you don't mean what most people, I think, would think of when they mean interrogated. Can you explain what you mean? Oh, right. So if there's, um, so in a, a route clearance package, you've got a few vehicles um, that are designed to interrogate a, a suspect package. So if there's something that looks out of place, if there's a rock that doesn't really look like a rock, if there's a piece of trash that doesn't really look like a piece of trash, the entire convoy halts. And then um, depending on who's called forward, they will go and using their vehicle, or for us, we use our robots to um, look further into what that suspicious item is. Um, so we'd always start with using a vehicle first, um, and then if EOD is required, if it's determined to be something more suspicious, then we do our procedures and go from there. Okay, so as you're approaching Route Gold, you've seen this National Police truck fly by you in the opposite direction, right. um, but you still haven't been hit with anything up to this point, correct? No, right. Um, so then what happens when you get to Route Gold? So actually it was before we get to uh, Route Gold. We're probably halfway through our mission, and we get a call um, from the, the main CP, essentially saying that the team um, in our EOD team, so my EOD team, that's on the route clearance package on the road parallel tires, they got, so that patrol got hit. Uh, nobody was hurt, but they were unable to finish their mission. So the main CP ordered us, um, ordered the lieutenant in, tar in charge of the route clearance, the engineer lieutenant, uh, to, for us to finish um, our mission, so hit head down to route goal, instead of stopping and turn around to finish our road, make a left on the route gold, and then make a left to come down their road to finish the last you know, 100 meters of road that they hadn't cleared yet. So that was the, the change in mission, the Frago, right? So it was um, uh, to finish kind of what they had started. So, and, and so now your mission changes, now you're gonna spend some time on Route Gold, this road that no U.S. forces had been on for, for months, really. Exactly. And don't know what you're gonna hit. Right, and we didn't know, um, so, you know, we kind of didn't know we didn't know um, and didn't really think anything of it because it's just a, another road into the area. Um, but we got down to Route Gold, made the left-hand turn with, even before our entire convoy got online, we were already interrogating, um, you know, pieces of trash, uh, out-of-place objects. Uh, it's really hard to do, particularly on Route Gold. Uh, so the streets that we had been clearing were relatively policed up really well in terms of trash, but Route Gold was just littered um, mm -hmm. with trash, with small huts. Um, I mean, it was it was destroyed, right? Um, so within within that first initial turn, we had already stopped and started, you know, looking at suspect items. And then we realized that if we do this, if we keep doing this, we're gonna be here all day and we're essentially sitting ducks. Mm -hmm. um, there's no way that we could literally inspect every piece of trash on this road because it, would, it could take days. It could literally take days. Mm 
Um, so we interrogated the first few and essentially had our vehicles rolling at a crawl um, to, um, to get through just so that we can make the left-hand turn to come back down and start clearing that other road. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like signal detection theory. So like if you, if you think about it, so what's the, if I think something's there and it's there and I interrogate it, then it's good, right? So I, I positively identified um, if I think something is there and it's not, then it's still good because I, I took the time interrogating, but at least nobody got hurt. Mm -hmm. But the worst thing that you can possibly imagine is not thinking anything's there and continuing your mission and having something be there. Um, so by the time all of our vehicles got online, like within a couple of minutes, like that's when the first ID uh, went off. So, you know, quick radio checks, everybody okay, uh, comms within the vehicles, no vehicles are hit. Yeah, we're all good. All right, Charlie might continue mission. How big, um, how many vehicles are in this convoy? Five maybe. Okay. So I know ours, Buffalo Husky, at least two others. I'd say five, maybe six. Okay, and where did this first ID go off? Uh, so this went off way far to the uh, lead of the Husky, Okay. right? So after the first one went off, you know, we're like, all right, so this is a different story. Um, went, to a, went to a roll, and then another one went off actually behind us. So that's when you kind of start the entire to, behind the entire convoy. So that's when you start to panic a little because you're like, well, we just passed that. Like, how did we not catch that? So the Husky... Um, it, the Husky is a route clearance vehicle. It's yes. meant to do this. And so this is the one in the lead. Um, can you describe it? Uh, so it's, a, it's like you said, a, um, built for mine detection, essentially, IED detection, mine detection. So only one person sits in that vehicle at a time. It's always at the front. Uh, it's got a, a um, more of a... I don't know how to like an extended it. wheelbase, right? Where the, the right. front wheels are way out in or front. Way out, right. Um, but it's it's just one person. Yep. We used to always joke, this is kind of separate, that you have to be a little crazy to be yeah. a husky driver. Yeah. Which they always say you gotta be crazy to be EOD, but just like no, you gotta be really crazy to be a husky driver. <laughs> so so the so you've got now two IEDs that have gone off. Uh, one in front of the convoy, one behind the convoy. Right. Then what happens? Do you keep? Do you continue moving? Are you stopped? So after after each one, we keep asking. You know, is everybody okay? Did anybody get hit? No, nope, we're good. So let's just keep going. Um, and we're still at a slow roll. To, you know, trying to. And we've got lights um, shining into everywhere. Everybody's looking, trying to figure out. You know, what's a piece of trash? What do we need to integrate and so forth? Because this is at night that you're doing that. It's at night. Yeah. It's pitch black, other than the lights that we have on our vehicles, and we've got you know really huge um, spotlights shining in the area, um, middle of night, dark, quiet, um, and then that's about the time that the third IED went off right in front of our vehicle. Um, so it was smaller. So that was the first one that I actually saw. Mm -hmm. um, so you could hear, and because of the way that my turret was positioned, I could hear and determine the general direction of the other two, but I didn't actually see them. But this one went off in front of the vehicle as a bright flash, um, but it was small. Um, and you can you know, determine that by the size of the, the noise and the size of the flash. Um, but it was obviously intended for you know, soldiers on foot, um, not necessarily for a vehicle. Yeah. But we knew at that point, well, 
we knew at the first one that somebody was there watching us. So it was either, I can't remember if there was a fourth or if it was the fifth, um, but a, another one, another um, IED went off and actually hit the Husky in the lead. Um, so at this point, the Huskies in the lead of the convoy, we don't have comms with that individual. Um, so the platoon leader, the engineer platoon leader is trying to, you know, are you okay? Is everything all right? Um, no comms, no comms. And then that's when like the bottom kind of dropped out. So small arms fire, RPG fire, um, coming from the Sauter City side of where um, our convoy was positioned. Um, so, you know, being in the turret, you, that's when, you know, kind of your body just goes into response mode, right? So you just do what you've been trained to do, turn the turret and start returning fire to the area that it's coming from. Um, With, did you have a 240? We had a 240, okay. right? Because we had actually, at the beginning of our deployment, we had had a 50 cal, mm -hmm. but just because of the way that they like penetrated, because we were working a lot of like smaller houses and like smaller buildings, we decided on our vehicle to switch out to the 240 mm -hmm. a couple months into the deployment. So I had a 240 up. Um, so we're returning fire. The engineer platoon leader gets all of his um, soldiers to return, you know, sector, sectors of fire, vice to return fire. He dismounts under fire to go to the Husky um, to, you know, try to see what's going on. Uh, with another soldier. I'm, I'm not quite sure he went with the medic, but he dismounted with another soldier um, as as we're all um, returning fire. Um, and so we didn't know at the time, you know, a lot of this you don't know until after the fact, right? We had our debrief after we all got back uh, to the cop, but um, the way, so it was an EFP um, that hit the Husky. Uh, we did the post blast on the vehicle after we got back to Callahan, so, um, you know, we determined it was an EFP, um, probably like a six inch, um, but it was positioned, the way that it was positioned, it looked like it was positioned, it was targeting vehicles lower to the ground, mm -hmm. potentially like a Humvee. Um, so had it been raised slightly more, the driver in the Husky would have, he would have died. But because it was lower, it ripped through the bottom half of the Husky, because the Husky driver sits pretty high in mm -hmm. the vehicle, ripped through the bottom half of that. and. Um, Frag caught him in his um, bottom, in his rear, um, which he was happy to write letters back to us sure. after the fact and tell us. Um, and because of that, because you know it, it ripped through the the bottom half of him, you know he lost consciousness. Um, he slumped over in the husky. That's why we didn't have comms um, with him. Um, and it became, you know, we were there for a while for them trying to get him out of that vehicle. So you don't have a lot of space in any of these vehicles anyway, and then once you add um, IBA or um, over top of that, the space is even more limited. So they couldn't pull him out of the, the top as quickly. So. so at this point, you have a general idea that, that the platoon leader that is the convoy commander is up there trying to kind of assess the situation. Um, you're busy returning fire. Are you starting to get a sense of kind of what the enemy composition is, how many people are firing at you, where they're at? So we had no, actually, mm -hmm. because it was still kind of dark. So within our area, they were, we were all 
directed towards relatively large, taller buildings. Mm -hmm. um, and you could pick out a couple of like shapes within that and you could see where fire was generally coming from. Um, but it was so chaotic um, that it was kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, and, and you said RPGs. Is it are you still getting hit with RPGs? So that was in the, in, the, in the initial. So it wasn't like a well-coordinated plan attack, to be honest. I think we had kind of surprised them by coming down Route Gold. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the things that they had in place had been there waiting. Um, and then it was more of a disbanded group. Um, so once, once we came to a halt, small arms RPG fire in the initial, the RPG fire started dying off. We're still returning fire, they're returning fire, and ultimately their fire, after we received reinforcements, um, their fire um, faded, faded out as well. Okay, so then what? Um, wh at what point do you, does kind of the combo commander get back on the net and tell you what's going on and, and what's the next decision? Right, so in terms of time, I don't, like I can only imagine it seemed like forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, where is this guy? Um, no, but within, from the time that he left the vehicle, maybe 15 or so minutes to get um, this other soldier, maybe less, I, you know, the sense of time is kind of all over the place at that point. Um, but once he got, got the soldier out of the vehicle, at that point, um, the, the, the vehicles that were in Overwatch had arrived. So they put that soldier in one of those vehicles and essentially turn it into, a, you know, a, a ground case of back or whatever, um, back to Callahan so that we could um, air flight him out. Um, and so with that, instead of us staying and continuing the mission, I mean, we couldn't because the Husky's down, the platoon leader's now with, you know, that um, vehicle or that, that individual. Um, so our whole essentially route clearance package went back in the medevac um, package and that was the end of that for that night when you so when when you first get this sort of um, order to to change the mission you're going to now be turning left on route gold heading down to that that next parallel street um, how how like in terms of percentage how much progress did you actually make toward that was it almost immediate after you turned it was almost immediately after we turned. Once all of our vehicles got online, if you put us all, you know, close together, which I mean, we we maintain a good separation and um, standoff from one another. But I'd say immediately once that last vehicle made the turn, like that's that's when we started really taking. Um, that's when the IEDs really started going off. So. Um. So then you you guys return to base. Uh, can you, do you know, can you talk a little bit about kind of what happened next? Did, I mean, did, did this kind of light a fire and people say, hey, we need to get a, a handle on Route Gold on this problem? Um, were there, like, did they send out more route clearance packages? Right, so after that, um, there was a push, and it, it was probably already in the works, but to build that wall around Solder City, so to wall off Solder City. So from that point on, we were constantly um, being embedded with different patrols that were going out to clear the roads to set the conditions for these T-walls to come in. So 
you know, the, the different companies of 168. I mean, and there were other battalions involved as well. That's just who we were embedded with that I, that I know of. Um, I mean, they were out there 24-7 um, trying to clear that road, trying to get those T-walls in. And this ran all the way through May, probably early June, um, before they were able to get that wall off um, to hopefully wall everyone back inside of Sawyer City to at least reduce the, the threat that we were getting from there. Um, and, uh, and, and as that effort continued, did they, did they fight it as much as they did that first night when you were clearing the route? I, I wasn't necessarily in, a, in another patrol quite like that one. Um, I, there were definitely instances similar to that, probably if not a lot worse than that. Um, our sister platoon had a couple of um, hairy nights, you know, um, found a lot of um, IEDs, a lot of EFPs along that route. Um, I just wasn't never involved in another. Okay. So. Well, this has been really interesting. Thanks. Um, uh, I think kind of a fascinating story. Um, and uh, I guess we're glad that that nobody was more seriously wounded, that you didn't lose any soldiers. Um, are there any kind of, when you look back on it now, now as a major, and you look back on it to when you, know, you were a lieutenant at the time, are there any kind of takeaways from it? Is it did, this, did you learn anything from it? Right. I think the biggest thing um, is that you don't know, you always question kind of how you're going to respond, and you don't know how you're going to respond, right? So you go through training, you go through whatever commissioning source you go through and the question you always have in the back of your head is like how am I going to respond when bullets starts flying when bullets start flying um, and the thing is is that for me when they started like you don't you don't think about that you know your body just goes into a response mode like the training that you've done leading up to that just kicks in and it's it's like you're on autopilot it's like it's like a muscle movement it just becomes like a natural part of what you do um, so that was the biggest, you'd always hear about that, oh, you'll know what to do and you'll respond, but like I actually felt it um, after we got back to base and I started thinking about like what just happened. That was probably the biggest takeaway for me is that all the training we had leading up to that prepared me for that um, and that all the training that I had to prepare me to stay cool, calm, and collected for what I feel was cool, calm, and collected um, prepared me for that night. So that was probably my biggest takeaway from that. That's great. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again for listening to the MWI podcast. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes and keep visiting mwi.usma.edu for great commentary and analysis. And don't forget to subscribe to MWI's newest podcast, The Spear.